Nikki's now going to come and read, and then Mark's going to teach. I'm reading this morning from Luke chapter 4. If you want to follow along, it's on page 1031 in the Bibles that you have. Luke chapter 4, commencing at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on a Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you'll quote this proverb at me, Physician, heal yourself, and you'll tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're continuing our series in the Beatitudes and um, The Chosen, uh, which is a film series uh, that's trying to uh, retell the gospel story uh, in picture, uh, has a very confronting way of doing that Luke reading. I don't know whether you picked it up when we were reading it out, but they, in The Chosen, they have to get Jesus to the top of this hill. The synagogue is not in the hi- on top of the hill that they're about to throw him off. It's a very physical thing. And I thought as we are about to uh, unpack one particular beatitude, I thought we might show a little video clip from The Chosen where Jesus speaks the beatitudes. If you haven't seen the series... Uh, in this video clip, when he is speaking the Beatitude, it'll cut to a disciple. If you know the series, you'll know that that disciple tends to characterise that Beatitude. 
So if you can watch the screen, I think we've got the video there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Yes, but how is it the map? If someone wants to find me, those are the groups they should look for. And then? You are the salt of the earth. As we look at this beatitude, blessed are those who are persecuted 
because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to begin with a, the ending, which is that the goal is not to be persecuted. That's not the goal. The goal is righteousness. I think there's some groups within the church that have seen being persecuted as a badge of honour and seen being persecuted as something that is showing them that what they're doing is right. But I think Jesus is talking to us, showing us in this particular beatitude that when we pursue righteousness, when we pursue the ways of God, if we suffer for that, then that's part of following God. If we are persecuted for that, that's part of following God. And I think we can see, I mean, there's a particular um, image that maybe if you haven't seen the series, you don't know, but when they show it in The Chosen there, the person that's actually being arrested is John the Baptist. And so there's this idea that when you stand for what is right and you're persecuted for it, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We could look at Jesus. Jesus is the founder of our faith. We're following Jesus. And so we could look at what happens to Jesus. If, if we're to follow where Jesus goes, then it's important to see what happens to Jesus. In our Bible reading today, we can actually see that Jesus is rejected in his own town. He's rejected in his own town and they take him up to a hill to throw him off. Because what he's saying in their eyes is blasphemy. He's claiming to be the Messiah. He's said, he's read out the scroll where it talks about the promised Messiah to is to come and then he says that has been fulfilled today. He's claiming to be the Messiah of the Old Testament. And they find that confronting because they saw him as a little boy. They saw him growing up and they thought, who are you to claim to be the Messiah? Wouldn't we have known earlier? It's confronting to them and therefore they go to throw him off a hill. It's interesting, we, we have to get that from the Luke's Gospel because in Matthew's Gospel they have the same story but it's just that they're unhappy with him. They don't take him up the hill to throw him off the hill. And we've been working through the Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew is trying to show that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And that that makes all the difference. But sometimes when we think about the cross at Easter time, or in general we think about the cross, because the church has had so many theological arguments about the cross and what it means, and we argue about atonement theology and a whole lot of other theological positions, which are all right and good, but I think we actually lose the understanding that this is a cultural moment. Jesus is persecuted for challenging the cultural norms of his day. Jesus is persecuted and put on the cross for challenging the religious leaders of the day. 
the religious leaders should have been looking for the Messiah and they're not, they're looking to protect their own religious empire, Jesus comes along and challenges them, shows them that he's the promised Messiah of the Old Testament and because he threatens their way of being, they put him on the cross for that. Yes, the cross has theological significance and I'm not talking about that today, but it's a cultural event. It's a significant event of persecution. Jesus is put on the cross by the people of his day to persecute him, to get rid of him. If they can get rid of him, then the whole movement that he's inspiring will hopefully go to bed as well. The leader of the movement that we now call Christianity was persecuted for righteousness. And sometimes when we think about Jesus making a once and sufficient atonement for our sins, that's a good theological position to have, but it doesn't let off the church from persecution for the rest of its history. And I'm probably going to give you a little bit of church history now, and uh, I'm glad the children are out, (laughs) because church history isn't good in terms of those who want to get off scot-free. Of the apostles, those who were the direct followers of Jesus, they didn't fare that much better than Jesus. And uh, the only account in the Scriptures of one of the apostles uh, being persecuted for righteousness is James. In the book of Acts, chapter 12, it says that James was an apostle who was put to death. It reads in verses 1 and 2, it says, it's about that time that King Herod arrested those who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. This is an Israelite who's intending to persecute the Christians. This is not Rome, we'll get to Rome in a moment, but this is Israel, intending to persecute the Christians. He had James, the brother of John, put to death by the sword. So James is a significant leader in the church, potentially one of the church leaders in Jerusalem while Peter and Paul go off for other things and James stays leading the church there and he's killed in persecution of the Christians. Now the rest of the apostles, it's a bit of tradition, there are some historical accounts and there are also a lot of folklore and there's some conflicting. But rather than seeing this as uh, historically accurate, I'm just trying to show you a build-up of a picture of what happened to the apostles, those who were the most devout followers of Jesus in the early church. So, tradition has it that Paul was taken to Rome, uh, and in 16, uh, sorry, 66 AD, after the persecution for, of Christians because of the fire that broke out in Rome, Uh, Paul was beheaded. Now, we know from Paul's letters that he was under chains and that he was in Rome, but tradition has that he was persecuted for his faith and not giving up on his belief in Christ, and for that he was beheaded. It turns out that tradition also has Peter in Rome about the same time, and uh, he was crucified for his faith and for his leadership of the church, but he didn't feel himself worthy enough to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord and Saviour, so he asked to be crucified upside down. 
Now, the rest of the accounts are less accurate, but apparently Andrew was also crucified in the area of Asia Minor, which is Turkey and Greece today. And again, tradition has it that he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord and Saviour. So rather than being crucified on a T-shaped cross, he was, con- he was crucified on an X-shaped cross. That's why sometimes today we still talk about the cross of St Andrew and it's more of an X shape. Early Christians in India claim that Thomas uh, was there preaching the gospel and that Thomas died in the area of India when he was pierced in the side by four soldiers for preaching the gospel. Philip apparently was arrested and cruelly put to death in North Africa for preaching the gospel. Bartholomew, don't look up Bartholomew um, on Google because the images are extremely gruesome uh, that were painted about him because he had a gruesome death. And whilst historians don't agree about the manner of his death, all the traditions connected with Bartholomew say that he was put to death while performing his ministry. There was a famous Jewish historian called Josephus who reported an apostle called James, we don't know which James it was, and he was stoned to death, but that didn't kill him, so they clubbed him to death. And that was in the area of Syria. Jude and Simon the Zealot were ministering in Persia and were killed for refusing to sacrifice to a sun god. Really, to sum it up, and this is a gruesome early church history, none of the apostles except for John, who wrote the book of Revelation, died of old age. All of those who professed to be followers of Jesus and spread the gospel were persecuted for righteousness. The early church didn't fare much better. Rome set out to persecute Christians and went on a a, a way of exterminating Christians. And there were two key responses that Christians had to the persecution from the Romans. There were some who gave up their lives for the Romans. They gave up their life for the gospel. They were killed by the Romans. The second group actually decided that it was better to remain a secret Christian in order that they could continue to spread the gospel. And so they were considered to be weak Christians, they were considered to be uh, people who were traitors to Rome by the hardcore Christians, because the third group were those who flee areas where there was persecution and they'd go and move to the deserts and it gives rise to what we call the Desert Fathers and Mothers, some of the great writers of the early church. So there were various responses to persecution in the early church. And it seems that persecution of Christians becomes normative right throughout church history. But oddly, um, it's not just uh, persecution from outside that becomes the way of the church. By the time we get to the Reformation, it seems that Christians are persecuting other Christians who don't agree with them. There are theological debates that lead to increasing cultural power uh, struggles between Christians and those who don't agree with one another. It seems throughout church history, there's been this big debate between two groups of people. Those who want a pure church, and therefore the church is quite exclusive, 
and those who believe that the gospel is for everyone and therefore the church is inclusive. And we see these debates play out in our world today. It started in the Reformation and it's still at play in our church today. The debate between those who feel the church is exclusive, those who are the devout followers of Jesus and those who say that the gospel is for everyone and they want an inclusive church even if it's a bit messy and it's a bit complicated and some people don't look like Christians. And those two church groups have been at each other and persecuting each other since the time of Reformation and it still happens today. The history of the church has seen this argument and the odd thing is that both groups claimed to be persecuted by the other group. And I think it's important for us to know that when Jesus is talking about being persecuted, it's because of righteousness. Not being persecuted because you're in an argument with someone who doesn't agree with you. To put it frankly, you're not getting, um, you're not living up to this beatitude just for being an idiot. It's actually about being persecuted for standing for the gospel. And so we do have to talk about what I'd call the real persecuted. Because there are places in the world, there are places in the world where it's illegal to be a Christian. There are places in the world where it's culturally unacceptable to be a Christian. There are even communities within Australia where if someone converts to Christianity, that they'll be disowned by their family. And there's an Anglican minister in Melbourne who is not in relationship with his family because of his conversion to Christianity from another uh, international faith. So as Christians, we need to know that there are people who are being persecuted for righteousness to the point of death in our day. There are those who are being martyred for their faith and perhaps, depending on how you read the statistics, we're living in an age where there has never been more people martyred for their faith than all of church history combined. Now, we don't see it on the news and it's not um, making CNN because sometimes it's disguised under cultural uh, groups. So, 40 people were killed in in a cultural clash but what the news doesn't report is that they were a group of Christians and they were persecuted for being Christian. I love The Chosen how it says if you want to know where Jesus is find those groups and Jesus will be with them. I imagine those Christians who can't come to church openly but have to do it in secret that I imagine that they must feel the presence of God every time they gather with other Christians. When some of us were at the Holy Trinity Brompton Leadership Conference earlier in the year, we had a talk from somebody who was a persecuted Christian in North Korea and she was put in jail for being a Christian. And she decided that she would um, not be able to talk about the gospel or support the other Christians in the cell because there were, the cell was so crowded 
that they would be further punished if they spread the gospel. And so they would secretly talk to one another in the line for the bathroom. I think God's presence was with them because of their persecution, of, because of righteousness. I think when we look at the persecuted Christians, it's a hard life. And I definitely wouldn't want it. I definitely wouldn't want to live in a place where it was illegal to be a Christian. But I know that God is with them. So what about us in Hawthorne in 2023? No doubt it is harder to be a Christian. If you look at cultural Christianity as the norm and us being able to pick politicians who are openly Christians and for us to get special privileges in society, if that's your benchmark, then I'd agree, it's, it's not culturally acceptable like that. But I don't think Christians are being persecuted for righteousness. I think Christians at the moment are being questioned as to whether we should get tax exemption. I think that's fair. I think we're being questioned as to whether politicians who represent everyone in the electorate can have a particular denominational faith. But I don't think we're being persecuted for righteousness. So how are we to live in Hawthorne in 2023? I think the clue to this beatitude is actually the reward. The reward says that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The goal of this beatitude is not to be persecuted. Being persecuted in Hawthorne in 2023 is not a badge of honour. We're not meant to be going around talking about how hard it is for Christians, unless you're talking about persecuted Christians in places where it's illegal. The goal of this beatitude is to stand for righteousness. We don't stand for Christianity and our rights. We stand for righteousness, which means that we're talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus encourages the disciples to live his way. And he lived a persecuted life because he challenged the religious leaders. And when we do that too, we'll actually get pushback for it. Mightn't look like persecution in other places of the world, but we'll get pushback. There's no doubt about that. But this beatitude actually calls us to stand for all the other beatitudes. So rather than being known as the group that's trying to protect our rights, we should be people who are known by the level of love, by the level of peacemaking, by the way in which we're pursuing mercy, by our meekness by our purity of heart. We are to be people who build the kingdom of God. And when we build the kingdom of God, we naturally challenge other kingdoms. And I think when we preach the gospel, which calls us to put our faith and trust in Jesus and to submit to the way of Jesus, I think in our day and age, in Hawthorne in 2023, it challenges the kingdom of hyper-individualism. The reason people don't like Christians is because it challenges their own sense of independence and freedom. 
But I don't think they persecute us to the point of death. I think they just disagree with us. So as we seek to build the kingdom of God, it does threaten earthly kingdoms. But remember that Jesus said he didn't come to build an earthly kingdom. He came to build a spiritual kingdom. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray that the kingdom of heaven will be done here on earth. That's what we're praying for. We're not praying for our rights as Christians or our ability to elect government officials that have a Christian faith. We are building the kingdom of God, encouraging people to step into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. Therefore, the preaching of the gospel is going to offend some people. It is going to challenge the hyper-individual nature of our society. It is going to challenge certain cultural groups in our community. It's even going to challenge some secular ideologies that seem to be politically normal in our world at the moment. But our message should always be love, peace, mercy, purity of heart, being meek, all of the Beatitudes, that should be our message. Christianity in Australia is not as popular as it once was and I don't think it's as influential as it once was. And potentially we could identify with some of the people in the Old Testament who live in exile in Babylon. And there's a whole lot of Christian writers who are helping people interpret this cultural moment through that lens. And I think that's appropriate. And in some ways, we should lament the fact that Christianity isn't more influential, not because it challenges our rights, but just because we want to see more people come into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. As we here at St. Columns build our church, we just want more people to have a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And so we should be people who live in hope. Lament about the decline, yes, but live in hope for what the Holy Spirit will do in the future. And if we see the little spot fires of revival that are breaking out right across the world, there are signs of hope. There are signs where the Kingdom of God is breaking through into our world. And we must remember that Jesus said that He will build His church. So building the Kingdom of God is a task worth fighting for. It's a task worth giving ourselves to. Building the Kingdom of God is challenging, it's difficult. It's just my opinion, but I don't think there's a better task to give my life to. And the invitation to all of you is to see the way in which you can build the Kingdom of God in your sphere of influence. Next week I'm going to close this series out and we're going to finish off with the line, great is your reward in heaven. When we live all of these Beatitudes, there's this sense of now and not yet. Some of the Beatitudes 
that says will. But in this beatitude we say there's is. There's a sense when we live out the beatitudes, we're living in the now and not yet. There is reward for us now, but there is reward for us in heaven. And as I'll show next week, the idea is that we see our spiritual reward as the thing that gives us life, even when we face persecution for preaching the gospel. Even when we receive suffering for preaching the gospel. Even when we see setbacks and decline and we're still faithful at preaching the gospel. So we seek a future of hope and in the meantime we pursue righteousness. A few weeks ago we spoke about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for theirs will be the, they will be filled and this leads us to the beatitude this morning. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Gracious God, we praise and thank you for the good news of Jesus. We thank you that it's the faith in Jesus that we can stand firm in. Lord, we do pray that more people would come to know you. And Lord, we do pray for your kingdom to break into our world. So Lord, strengthen us for that task. Help us to fight when we need to fight. Help us to be meek when we need to be meek. Help us to be humble when we need to be humble. And Lord, help us to pursue righteousness, even in the face of pushback. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.